hello again, and I am excited uh, about a couple of things. First of all, how about what God did last week at VBS? Did you see those stats in the video? It's pretty amazing. Thank you. I, I know that happened uh, through, through a lot of hard work from, from staff, but listen, I stood up here a few weeks ago and, and multiple times and asked you to volunteer, and you did. And uh, our volunteers were just amazing last week, and you saw the results, 96 children making a decision for Christ. It was, it was an amazing week around here. So thank you, thank you so much. I'm also excited that you get to hear this morning's speaker. He is no stranger to us. Dr. Justin Walker grew up in this church, and then he went away and got really smart in college, and then he came back. And we put him on staff here for several years, and he got so smart he had to go back to college, this time to teach, but he is the Associate Professor of Christian Ministries and Old Testament, and he has brought the entire family here, which we're excited about as well. Amanda, welcome home, Kennedy and Judah, and would you welcome Dr. Justin Walker. Good morning, friends. It's wonderful to be home, to be with you. It's hard to believe it's been three years since Amanda and I left to go to the holy city of Cleveland, Tennessee, <laughs> where the spirit of God dwells, where Jesus will return one day. Oh man, it's so good to be with you. We hear wonderful things of all that God's doing through you and in this body. And I'm so grateful to Pastor Kirk for the opportunity to share with you today. If you have your Bible, please open it uh, with me to the book of Proverbs chapter eight, Proverbs eight. Proverbs is in the Old Testament. It's right after the Psalms. We're gonna get there in just a second. And while you're turning there, I'm gonna tell you a story. So it was a rainy morning in March of 2021, March of last year, and I was making my way to the University Health Clinic for a follow-up COVID appointment. A week prior, I had a student in my office for advising who was unknowingly suffering the symptoms of the Great Plague. And uh, he eventually tested positive and contact tracing led back to me. And even though I had had COVID in November of 2020, just a few months prior, I was outside of the window. And so the CDC made me a lucky winner of another week in exile teaching via Zoom. And so I was going back to the clinic to hopefully test negative and get back to life as usual or a kind of new normal, as it were. And uh, I make my way to the, to the doctor's office. I sit down and the nurse prepares the test and she swabs my nose and she sets the timer for 15 minutes. And rather than leaving, there, leaving me there to think my thoughts, she decides we're gonna spend some quality time together. And I had done my best up to that point to give out every introverted vibe that I had in my arsenal. Yeah, head was down, phone was out. Short but kind answers to her questions, but these meant nothing to her. She was going to bulldoze me into small talk with her. And this is not a slight against her. She is a wonderful sister in Christ. This is nothing to do with anything she did wrong. This is just me and my sanctification working itself out. Um, so she doesn't, she wants to have small talk, but the normal small talk conversation won't do, weather, sports, etc. She wants to make it a bit more personal. Having probed my nose, she now wants to probe my soul. And so <laughs> she says to me, she says, so what, do you, what do you do here? Are you a student? They always think, I'm a student. I don't, I don't know what else I need to do. I guess cut my hair. I don't pleats in the pants. What do I need to do? So, no, ma'am, I'm not a student. I'm a, uh, I'm a professor here. Oh, wonderful. What do you teach? Well, I teach Old Testament. And that usually introduces a whole host of questions from individuals, number one of which is usually, why? Don't you know there's a new one? <laughs> there's a newer version. It's 2.0 that's out. You don't need to read 1.0 anymore. 
And I say that's heresy because it is. And so uh, she didn't ask that question though. She says, okay, that's great. So now that you're teaching all the time, what has the Lord been teaching you? It's a good question. It's a bit direct, but I'll allow it. And so uh, I said, well, I'm teaching a brand new course on Ezra and Nehemiah, and I don't know these books well, so I'm learning a lot as we go. And she goes, oh, that's wonderful. I love Ezra and Nehemiah. I love those books. And she says, so then as you've been studying them, what has the Lord been teaching you? Right? She doubles down on the question. So I doubled down on the content, right? So I don't think book knowledge and spirit knowledge are separate things. And so I say, well, we're learning a lot about leadership and proper worship and communal identity, all kinds of fun things. And she says, oh, that's great. So then it's wonderful content. So then what has the Lord been teaching you personally in all of this? I said, ma'am, I signed up for a COVID test, not an inquisition, you know, (laughs) give me a break, right? Um, And I didn't really have an answer for her. That was the primary problem. I didn't have an answer. And so I cobbled together some kind of Christianese answer that's made up of Hobby Lobby plaques, where God guides, he provides, I don't know. Just something that rhymes, that sounds holy, gets her off my back for a moment. And it was acceptable, I guess, uh, in her view. And so she begins to tell me about what the Lord's doing in her life. The timer goes off, I'm negative, and I run out that door and go back to my car. And I realize on the drive home that my frustration with that moment probably did not stem from the fact that she was invading my privacy, as it were, but stemmed from the fact that I didn't have a good answer to that question. But I knew God had been teaching, but perhaps I had fallen asleep in class. And so, having received this blessing from our sister in Christ, I wanna pass it along to you. I wanna ask you a question or a series of questions, and I want you to take them seriously, consider them seriously. What has God been teaching you this week? Last month's answer doesn't count, And the lesson that you wish God would teach your spouse or your kids, that doesn't count either. What has God been teaching you this week and have you been paying attention? Let's press the metaphor a bit further for God's classroom. Are you late on any assignments? Are you tardy to any lectures? For those of us that have spent decades in God's classroom, are we allowing our attention and our effort of the past to count for our attention and effort and the present? Are we surviving on last semester's lessons, on yesterday's manna, on yesterday's mercies that are new every morning? And perhaps your answer to some of those questions is, I don't know. And that's a perfectly good answer because humility of intellect begins with acknowledging what we don't know. The world right now would benefit from a lot more people saying, I don't know. Don't you think that... The the worst thing we can do is to allow our spiritual pride to make up answers for ourselves like I did in that doctor's office so that we convince ourselves that we're pious and holy. That's called self-justification and it's the enemy of faith and the truth and there is no wisdom there. And if you don't know, well, hear me out, it's often difficult to know what God's up to moment to moment anyway. Ecclesiastes 8 says the wise claim to know, but even they don't really understand. So I don't know a perfectly acceptable answer But perhaps you're here and you're wondering where God's classroom is to be found anyway. And is it okay if you show up late? And perhaps you're asking, am I too broken? Am I too sinful? Am I too stupid to pass God's class? Well, I've got good news for you this morning. God, by the power of the Spirit, is here. And God is the consummate teacher. And guess what? Latecomers are always welcome. 
In fact, we're all extraordinarily tardy because class has been in session for several millennia and we're only now showing up and only now starting to take notes. We have a lot of catching up to do. And also, if you're sinful or broken or stupid, you're in a good place also because you acknowledge that you don't have all the answers to the questions and you're in a much better place than all those that claim to have every solution and every answer already figured out. Oh, and also, if you're a beginner, beginners are welcome too. In fact, only beginners are welcome and we're all always beginners. More on that here in just a second. So where is wisdom to be found? What is God teaching you? That's what we're going to talk about today. Today is Trinity Sunday in the Christian calendar. It comes the week after Pentecost Sunday, which was last week in many traditions. And this is um, a day dedicated to reflecting upon the triune God, God's triune nature, one God eternally existing in three persons, not three personalities, not three modes of being, not three epochs of God's history, but three persons, distinct but not separate, eternally in communion with one another as one God, the, in, the internal relations of God's own name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is revealed to the world, especially in the arrival in the Christ event, when Christ's coming into the world in the incarnation, that as the church began to reflect upon Christ, not only the human being, but also Christ, the incarnate God, they had to figure out who God is now, or how, or how God always has been and now revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And to do that, they would go back to their scriptures, which are our Old Testament. One of the primary texts that they would use is Proverbs chapter 8. Why? Well, Proverbs 8 features the voice of a person called Lady Wisdom. She's the personification of God's own wise attribute. She's personified as a woman because the word chokhmah in Hebrew is a feminine noun. So there's other reasons for this as well. But Lady Wisdom talks as the personification of God's wisdom to human beings. And in Proverbs 8, Lady Wisdom claims that she was there at the beginning of the world, and she's the means by which that God creates the world, the first of God's acts. And so as the church reflects upon Jesus Christ, they see Christ as the fulfillment of that wisdom. And we know this because of chapters like Colossians 1 in your Bible that say that all things were created by him and through him and for him, and in him all things hold together. That's based on Proverbs chapter 8, speaking of Jesus Christ. It's also in John chapter one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That entire chapter is drawing upon aspects and themes of Proverbs chapter eight. Now today is not going to be a lesson on the Trinity necessarily, but we are going to use this text of wisdom to see what kind of things God is inviting us to behold. And hopefully over the next few moments, we see that wisdom is right where we are and that God is continuing to teach us. And that's very, very good news. So three simple invitations from the text today. We might even call them commands. And the first one is this, listen up. God commands us to listen up. The first seven verses of Proverbs 8 say this, does not wisdom call and does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, the city gates, she cries out, very public places. Here's her voice. To you, O people, I call, and my cry is to all that live. O simple ones, learn 
prudence, the simple ones, this is the word, the petaim, the naive, those without a lot of experience, the stupid ones, yeah. So it's nice when the Bible calls us stupid. Sometimes we need to hear it. I'm, I myself included, right? The stupid ones learn prudence. What is prudence? It's the intellectual capacity to see the world as it really is. In the Old Testament, this is a word that can be flexed negatively. So if you see the world as it really is, you can manipulate it to your ends. For example, that's, that serpent in Genesis chapter three is described with a word that's related to this word prudence. But in the wisdom tradition, prudence is the ability to see the world as it is, to discern what is good, and then to choose that good thing. So prudence, a cardinal virtue in the virtue tradition, seeing the world as it is, and the naive need to see it. Prudence, very important. The Beatles knew this. Acquire intelligence, you who lack it. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. From my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. We've seen Lady Wisdom before in Proverbs chapter one. There, she's also in public places crying out to us, begging for us to hear her words. And yet there, she's a bit harsher because she says that if you don't listen to my words, then calamity will befall you, panic will befall you, all the wicked decisions that you have made will come crashing down upon your head. And when they do, Lady Wisdom says, I will laugh at you because you did not choose the fear of the Lord. Now in Proverbs 8, she's a bit nicer. She's trying to entice us and persuade us to listen to her voice. And that as we hear her teaching, we find what is good and beautiful and noble about this life with God. But I wanna ask you, when you search for wisdom, where do you go? Or when you've searched for wisdom in the past, where have you found it? The relationally inclined in the room, perhaps it's a phone call or a text message away to somebody that you trust and that you love, a pastor, a mentor, an, um, a, an elder, a friend, some kind of trustworthy presence in your life that you think loves you. That's a good source of wisdom. To so the spiritually inclined in the room, um, we might search for experiences with God, connections with God, getting away from the world and find, trying to hear the voice of God for ourselves. There's some wisdom there too. To the intellectually inclined, we're just going to buy a bunch of books and read all of them or just Google it and let the experts guide the way. There's some wisdom there too, occasionally. So all of these places, potential sources of wisdom. And yet with all of these resources at our disposal, we consistently feel woefully inadequate, don't we? But there's rarely a day that goes by, at least in my life, where I don't say something to myself like, I just don't know what I'm going to do about X. Do you ever feel this way? I just don't know what I'm going to do. I'm too stuck, I'm too broken, I'm too sinful, I'm too short-sighted, or I know the right path and it's so impractical, it's just not connected to my world at all. And in fact, the contemporary world, the market thrives on our stupidity. They want to convince us indeed that we are inadequate and that we don't have it and that they can sell to us the solution. You're scrolling through your social media feeds or the headlines, and you always see articles like this, five ways to raise well-rounded kids. Yeah, you read these articles before? They're there to tell us how to raise our kids, and there's only five things we need to know in order to do so. Thank God for them. So they say you don't have what it takes as a spouse or as a parent, as a leader, as a human being, and you need us to tell you. So in the contemporary world, wisdom is only available to those who have the time and the money to climb the ivory tower to get it, but not God's wisdom, not the only wisdom that matters, not the wisdom that we see in Proverbs chapter eight. God's wisdom 
It's not reserved for the elite and the wealthy. It's not reserved for the spiritual and the holy. It's not reserved for the intellectual and the scholarly. It's not far away. It's not concealed. It's not earned. And it's not for sale. God's wisdom is right where you are and right where you've been and wherever that this life happens to take you. Wisdom isn't hiding from you. Wisdom isn't asking you to prove yourself to gain her teaching. Wisdom isn't playing hard to get. According to Proverbs chapter eight, wisdom is standing in plain sight. She's got a bullhorn in one hand. She's got a sign in the other hand. And she's been in all the places that you've been this week. She was in that restaurant that you ate in a couple of days ago. She was in that meeting. She was at that school. She was at the playground or the pool or the grocery store. She happens to be in all the most populous places. And just because no one's paying attention to God's wisdom doesn't mean that God's wisdom isn't there. And God's teaching, God's wisdom is for you exactly as you are right now in this moment. Not who you will be, not who you want to be, not who you failed to be, not who you once were, but you as you are right now. So two questions. Where do you start? If I want wisdom, where do I begin? That's the first question, and it's simple. You want to start? All you need to start finding wisdom is the desire to find wisdom. It just starts with desire. Proverbs 4 verse 7 says this, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Isn't that great? The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, and whatever else you get, get insight, says Proverbs chapter 4. What does that mean? That the goal and the process are the same things. That as I set out to become wise, I find myself becoming wise. Or in the words of Jesus Christ, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Not blessed are the righteous, none of us would receive that blessing, but blessed are you if you just want it, if you're hungry for it, if you desire it, because then, well, you'll be filled. And so you want wisdom? All you have to do is desire it, ask for it, and seek it. And James chapter one says that if we ask for it, then the spirit of God will give it to us. Proverbs 7 verse 4 says this, say to wisdom, you are my sister, and make insight your intimate friend. Just desire it. That's the only prerequisite for enrolling in God's classroom. That's where it starts. But secondly, where do I find it? If it's in all these public places, I haven't seen her standing around much. So where do I find it? And we know some of the answers to these questions already. We find it in the word of God, first and foremost, the special revelation of God. I have students that come and sit in my office often, and they have all kinds of difficulties that they're experiencing. But the primary difficulty students experience is once they get to college, they feel as though God isn't talking to them anymore. They enter into a kind of wilderness. Because of, as their minds grow, they, they wonder, where is God, this familiar God that I had in high school or in middle school? And I'll say to them something like this. Uh, are you reading your Bible? And many of them say, 
No. <laughs> or if they are, they're just Googling verses about suffering, right? That's not necessarily reading the word. To say that I desire wisdom and not to read the word of God is like saying that I'm hungry, but I don't want to eat food. So the word of God is the source of wisdom. We know this. We should be engaging it. And hear me, the word of God is not going to tell us what we want to hear. It's going to tell us what we need to hear. And it's not there to entertain us, just as wisdom is not there to entertain us. There's a reason we don't often read it. It's because there's more interesting things to do. And yet, nevertheless, the word of God is not always interested in solving our problems, but informing us into the image of Jesus Christ. And that gives our problems purpose. And that's infinitely more important. Wisdom's found in the word of God. It's also found in the world of God, wherever we happen to find ourselves. More on that here in just a second. It's also found in the body of Christ. The person that sits right next to you by the grace of God is the extension of God's presence to you. Have you seen God's presence in them? And then it's also found, fourthly, in the image of God. Do you know who the image of God is? You and me. Every human being created in the image of God, which means that there is something to learn of God in the face of every human being that I encounter. Before every human being that I stand, it could be an infant. I am a student learning from a teacher. There is not a human being that I cannot learn something from. But most importantly, listen up, because you don't know where the wisdom of God will come from at any given moment. This is all over your Bible, by the way. Do you know the story of Naaman? Naaman is second in command in the kingdom of Aram. He has leprosy. He has at his disposal every doctor, every priest, every official, every wise sage, and none of them can give him a solution. So where does wisdom come from? It comes from an Israelite slave girl that tells Naaman's wife that there's a prophet in Israel that he might go to receive healing. Listen up. You don't know where wisdom is going to come from. Jonah. How does Jonah learn wisdom? Well, from those pagan sailors that worship God better than he does. Also, those Ninevites who lead him in the way of repentance. Also, not just that, but a big fish teaches him a big lesson, as does a gourd from the Lord in chapter four, a big plant that goes over his head, and then a worm that eats that plant, and then an east wind that makes him hot. God likes object lessons in the book of Jonah. Listen up, you don't know where wisdom will come from. Naomi, where does she receive the wisdom of God's healing from? Not from all those other Bethlehemites, not from the elders, but from her daughter-in-law, who is a Moabite. I know, scandalous. She is an enemy of Israel. It's nevertheless from her that Naomi's healing comes. Balaam, where does he hear, where does he hear God's wisdom? From the donkey underneath his rear end. So pay attention you don't know where God's wisdom is going to come from. But I promise she'll be speaking in that restaurant that you eat, at, that you eat in after this service. She'll be speaking on that evening walk that you take. Wisdom's always speaking. I learned this recently. My family, we were having our family devotions a couple of months ago. And on that particular night, we were reading Proverbs 12, I believe, just working through some of the sayings. And it was uh, probably my kid's first exposure to these kinds of sayings and just asking them, reading a saying, what do you think that means and working through it? And one of them said something like, uh, the wise are those who love correction and the one who hates rebuke despises his life. So I told them that correction, discipline, rebuke, those who are wise, they actually look for those kinds of things from people that they trust because they know that even though it's painful to hear that constructive feedback, it's nevertheless good for us to hear it. They didn't believe me. I didn't believe myself. But nevertheless, it's important that we know constructive feedback is good. Okay, so we go to bed. 
all that happens. And a couple weeks later, I'm putting the kids to bed again. We have a 10-year-old daughter named Kennedy and a seven-year-old son named Judah. I'm trying to get Judah to get in his bed on that particular night. He's got a lot of energy and I'm exhausted, right? And so I just, I'm tired. I can't get my words out. And I point to his bed and I say, buddy, it's time to go to bed. And then I, and he's running around. And I point to it again and I say, buddy, please just lay down on the couch. Yeah? And he says, dad, it's not a couch, it's a bed. And I said, son, don't correct me. And he says, dad, but the Bible says we're supposed to receive correction and that wise people seek it out. And I said, son, I was lying, you know? Uh, no, yeah, wisdom right there. I needed to hear that. I was wrong. And it's important that we listen for wisdom in all of its sources. Listen up, wisdom speaking, wherever you happen to find yourself. Just because nobody's listening doesn't mean that wisdom isn't there. Secondly, look around, look around. So in verse 22, everything changes. Wisdom shifts away from talking about how beautiful her words are and how important it is that we receive them and live according to them. Now she's going to talk about her presence as God creates the world. She's there at the very beginning. A beautiful poem that speaks of God's creation. Starting in verse 22, this is what the poet says. The Lord created me, wisdom, at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts, long ago. Ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth, I was born. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. When he had not yet made earth and fields or the world's first bits of soil, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. It's a beautiful image. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. God is an architect in this particular text, designing the world. What does drawing a circle mean? Well, if you can imagine, you stand in an open field and you look 360 degrees around you, you see that line of the horizon. And so the poet is imagining that God standing above the human race takes out a protractor and draws a circle around human civilization so that the waters cannot touch the land and that we have a place to live. So God looking down with a protractor, drawing a circle around us. When he uh, drew a circle on the face of the deep, verse 28, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned the, to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I, wisdom, was beside him like a master worker. Another translation that I think is better is like a little child. It's a bit closer. It seems to reflect the rejoicing that follows. I was beside him like a little child, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the human race. So the text is imagining God the architect measuring out the boundaries of the sea and laying out the skies like a canopy over the earth. I can imagine that God has a pencil tucked behind his ear. And he's pouring over the blueprints of the world. And while he's building the world and establishing mountains and making this wonderful earth that we inhabit, 
Wisdom is right there, a little kid playing alongside God. It's take your kid to work day. And God has taken wisdom with him to make the world. We see a lot of things here, three brief things. The first one is that wisdom has been around for a little while, so you can trust God's wisdom. We live in contemporary age in which something that's six months old is now out of date. But in the ancient world, only things that were old were worth listening to. And so wisdom has been around for a while. She's seen everything that's happened across the history of humanity and the universe. There is nothing new that we are experiencing in our breath of an existence that God's wisdom has not already seen. So we can trust whatever insight wisdom has to provide for us. Wisdom's been around a while, and so we can trust wisdom's insight. And then secondly, not only has wisdom been around for a little while, but wisdom has been woven into the very fabric of the universe. So that God designs all things as the great architect that God is with wisdom present and weaving wisdom into the rhythms of creation itself. Here's what makes the book of Proverbs unique. Proverbs is going to tell you, do not go out into the world and try to change the world. The world's been around for a little while. The world was doing just fine before you and I showed up. And we were born and we're like, listen, I've got some suggestions for you, God. I know I'm only a few decades old, but you're millennia old, but listen, I've got some suggestions for you. No, don't go out and try to change the world. Instead, change yourself to live in harmony with the wisdom of God's design, to inhabit that small place that I often ought to inhabit, to prize that footnote of an existence that I am given, and to therefore live my life according to the rhythms of God's Sabbath, according to the rhythms of God's wisdom. Proverbs says, don't change the world, change yourself. Calibrate yourself to the wisdom of God's design. Look around, see where you fit, and then play that small role with great joy and wonder. And that's the third point that the hallmarks of wisdom, the hallmarks of wisdom are childlike wonder and delight. The hallmarks of wisdom are childlike wonder and delight. That wisdom there as God makes the earth is like a little child. And the word that's translated rejoicing is the same word that's used to describe or used, that's uh, the verbal root of Isaac's name. Does anybody know what the name Isaac means in the Old Testament? Laughter, that's right, laughter. So there is wisdom at the beginning of the world laughing as God makes the world. And if you wanna live wisely, well, it starts with desire. But the wise are those who live like children all over again. What does it mean to live like a child? Well, we might say childlike faith is trust in God, a willingness to know that God provides all that I need. And that's part of it. But I think also that childlike faith is the willingness to be a beginner again. The willingness to be a beginner. We're all adults and we're all professional. I have accolades and I have titles and you must acknowledge them and I talk in highfalutin terms and, right, I'm advanced in some things. But here comes the wisdom of God to say, oh, you are only a beginner. The Trappist monk Thomas Merton, he once says, we don't wanna be beginners, but we, must come to terms with the fact that we will never be anything but beginners all our lives. Nothing but 
beginners. And in fact, you know this because tomorrow morning, there are going to be new mercies for that day. You don't know what those mercies are. So you're going to be a beginner in those new mercies. And of course, how many of you would say, I am born again? You've been born again, which means you're a child all over again. And children live in the world with great wonder and great delight. They are those who rejoice in all things around them. The children are those who try boldly and fail often and laugh all along the way. So true wisdom is becoming a child all over again, embracing my beginner's status and recognizing that I have much to learn about my life and this world and the wonderful God who's made it. You know who models this for us better than anyone else is, of course, incarnate wisdom himself, Jesus Christ. We often think Jesus was kind of cranky and very serious and severe, but he wasn't. Jesus was known to be the life of the party, in fact. I can imagine that Jesus was quite funny, but even beyond that, Jesus was one who paid attention to the things around him. When he wanted to teach you about God and heaven, you know what he didn't do? He didn't give you 18 points of abstract principles on divine essence. What did he do? You wanna know about heaven? Uh, let me think. It's kind of like a farmer. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like uh, wheat and tares, or it's kind of like a, a shepherd that's lost his sheep, or it's kind of like a woman that's making bread, or when you could sense that we were anxious, because if we were to pursue the kingdom of God, then it's going to cost us a lot of things. Jesus says, I know you're anxious, but have you... Um, have you paid attention to the birds before? No, I know you see them. I know you know that they exist. But have you watched them? Have you stared at them? Have you seen their habits? Because they neither sow nor reap, and yet God feeds them, and God loves you more. And I know you're worried about your clothing, but have you, let me show you something. Have you seen the lilies over here? Oh, they're beautiful. I know you know what they are. I know you pass them as you drive to work every day. You don't care much about them. But have you ever paid attention to them? Because if you really stare at them and look around, you might see that these flowers that are here for just a few moments, and then they pass away. God clothes them in great beauty. Don't you think God will clothe you too? Jesus is one with both feet on the ground. Now hear me, wisdom is not sentimental. This is not a world filled with butterflies and fairies and gumdrops. It knows that there's pain in the world. It knows that there are counterfeits to wisdom. And that if we follow those counterfeits, there's pain and there's destruction and there's death and there's suffering. Proverbs 8 is here to remind us in the midst of one of the greatest suffering ages in recent history, that suffering is not the first word spoken over creation. That before there was pain, there was play. Before there was death, there was delight. The first word spoken over creation is wisdom and play and wonder. And that will be the last word spoken over creation too. This is my father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let the earth be glad. Look around. There's much to learn. You want to learn about hard work? Don't go buy a book on hard work. Don't learn from Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk. What do they know? Look down. Look down. Not at your feet. Look down. Those little critters you're trying to kill that you're calling the exterminator to come out and kill. 
you get on your hands and knees like a child would in a magnifying glass, we might learn a lot about hard work. Proverbs 6 says this, consider the ant, you lazy bones. Consider the ant, you lazy bones. When's the last time you paid attention to an ant to learn some lessons on what it means to be wise and good and to lead a life that's beautiful? Listen up, look around. Third, live well, live well. In light of the fact that wisdom is embedded in the cosmos, and that God is inviting us to share in that wisdom in our very small and brief role that we have in this life. Now verse 32, she says this. And now my children, listen to me. Happy are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, don't neglect it. Happy is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors, for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But those who miss me injure themselves. All who hate me love death. Listen, you don't know where wisdom's going to come from. Look around, find your small role in this place, and once you find it, live it out with great enthusiasm and humility and wonder. Live well. I recently taught a class in uh, May with two friends entitled Heaven, Hell, and the Afterlife. So it's been a, you know, it's been a deep past six weeks or so. Um, but I've learned so much in this class over the, over the past few weeks. It just ended last week. And um, on the very first day, we asked the students to tell us everything that they've ever heard. We wrote it on the board. Everything you've ever heard about heaven and hell. And we started with heaven. Tell us what you think about heaven. And immediately, what do you think they started saying? Streets of gold, pearly gates, Somebody said chocolate trees, yeah? I don't know where she got that, but chocolate trees. What else? Lots of music in heaven. We'll see people that we once knew and loved and we'll know everybody. What age will we be, they asked. Can we see hell, they asked. All kinds of wonderful things about heaven. I looked at that list after about a 45-minute exercise. And I said, there's one thing we're missing from this list. God. God wasn't on the list yet. We often see God as a means to paradise rather than God as paradise himself. And I was struck by this. I was struck by this because the early church fathers knew that we've been born into the classroom of God. And all our days are spent in that classroom. We don't have to listen to the lessons, but all those lessons are being taught. And they knew that once we reach the new heavens and the new earth, that doesn't change. That all eternity will be spent learning from God's wisdom because God has infinitely new things to teach us about God's world and most importantly, about God's self. So we better start paying attention now because nothing's going to change. We have many lessons. In fact, 10,000 years and 10,000 more lessons to learn. Listen up, look around and live well. Let's pray together. God, There are many people in this room who are dealing with all kinds of things that are overwhelming them. Issues with family members, issues with illnesses, issues with just dealing with this world, mental affliction, all kinds of sufferings. Some of those, some of those sufferings are because of decisions they've made. Others are because of decisions others have made. Others are just because life is broken. God, your word tells us that if we ask for wisdom, you're faithful to give it to us. And so, Lord, we ask for your wisdom. Forgive us 
for overlooking you in all the wonderful places of your world. Grant us ears to hear and eyes to see and the will and the strength of will to respond to you in obedience, trusting that we have much to learn. Remind us that we are your children and that this is your world and that we can trust you. So I ask for specific wisdom for every individual in this room, that we might have responses to that question, what are you teaching us? To all of us who have never, anyone in the room who has never made that initial decision to step into your classroom, to learn from you and to follow you, I pray right now by the grace of Jesus Christ that you would make your way to them, that your spirit would speak to their heart and grant them the courage and the strength to choose you and to choose to follow you and to seek your forgiveness and that in so doing you would overwhelm their soul and their mind with your great mercy and love. We trust you. Teach us now as your students and children. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Justin. Appreciate you sharing the word of God with us. Church, would you stand with me for our benediction? Let me just say that if you have made a decision for Christ, either today to follow him or maybe in recent weeks, and you've never followed that up and, and talked to somebody on our team, our grow team will be down here right after the service, right here down front in front of the stage. We've got some resources we'd love to give you. We'd love to begin that conversation with you about what it means to be a follower of, of Jesus. And, and maybe you still have questions about becoming a Christian or what that means. You come to the Grow Team's prepared to talk to you too. We'd love to make a connection with you today and get you moving forward in your journey of following Jesus. Now, if you would allow me the privilege to bless you before we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and to give you peace in Jesus' name. Let's give a response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight Oh, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I love you folks. Have a great week. Hope to see you next week for Father's Day.